2: Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode six.
3: We all, like whether we're the ones in power or the ones uh, that are oppressed, we all get to enter into the story of Jesus and experience redemption. But it takes work, right? Like we just don't like, hey I forgive you, it's all fine, not great, like let's hug, reconciliation, hashtag freedom, like that's not how, that's... That's um, some nonsense.
2: Michael Vosquez is a college campus minister, ministry planter, and an MDiv student at Western Theological Seminary in Michigan. Uh, He's a leader, a storyteller, a researcher, an educator who's advocating, speaking, and writing on biblically-based social justice, uh, contemplative activism, inclusion, and reconciliation. Uh, Michael's committed to empowering others to become holistic witnesses of the gospel, both in and beyond the academic world, and he's doing all of this as a gay man. Uh, I first met Michael at a conference last fall, the same conference where I met Lauren from a couple episodes ago, Uh, if y'all aren't going to conferences, um... I would highly recommend maybe checking them out. This, this actually might be a good time to plug. Like the Reformation Project uh, is having their their conference on biblically based uh, LGBT inclusion in Chicago this fall at the end of October. I'm going to be there. Uh, I know Michael's going to be there. A ton of people who are on this podcast are going to be there. Give me all of us in real life. Uh, so if you're not doing anything at the end of October, come to the Reformation Project conference. It's going to be amazing. Anyway, Michael. Uh, Michael's doing some really incredible work. Uh, he was involved, and he gets into the story a little bit later on in the, in, in the episode. He was involved uh, in InterVarsity uh, doing ministry work there. And then when university kind of blew up last fall uh, with their big purge, which Michael talks about, uh, he switched gears, uh, still doing ministry work, uh, but in, in different capacities. Uh, Michael is... Like first and foremost, a preacher, um, you'll hear that. You'll hear that in this episode. And I'm really excited to share uh, to share with you what he has to say. So let's dive in. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. To having you. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Uh, so to start, a uh, question that I ask everyone, uh, how do you identify and how has your faith informed that
3: identity? Yeah, I would identify primarily by where I'm from, um, where my family's from. So mm-hmm. I am Latino. Um, my family is from Puerto Rico and from Panama. Uh, mm-hmm. Panama, my mom's side, Puerto Rico, my dad's side, um, of African, indigenous, and European descent. And so it's really complicated mixture in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I identify as a... Uh, as a gay Christian of evangelical Catholic and charismatic background. So <laughs> also just a good, um, a good mixture. Um, just falling in the <laughs> trend with like my ethnic background, things are just like, a nice salsa of, yeah. uh, of different things. And so I think the way my faith has grown, um, in intersecting all of those things is really coming into understanding what, uh, what does it mean to be uh, a Christian and a Latino? What does it really mean to be a Christian and gay? Mm-hmm. Um, because at the core of like who we are, like all of these identities are, are critical, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they're not like, I'm a Christian over here and then this. It's like, I, I'm all of these at once, and how do I embody all of these at the same time? And I think it's been this growing process of entering, the more I lean into my ethnic identity, for example, the more... Of Jesus, I experience, Mm -hmm. and the more uh, of my faith seems to grow because I'm embracing this part of myself that reflects who God is. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah,
2: yeah. I'm I'm curious if you'd be willing to maybe to talk a little bit more about that, like that rooting into those separate identities, as uh, because I think so often. I think in, in so many different ways, we're, we're told to kind of, we separate out. So we have our, our Christian sides, our sexuality sides, our identity sides. Uh, and I think it's really, really hard work to bring those things together. Uh, and I see you as someone who is doing that. Uh, and I, I would say doing it well. And I'd be curious, like, as you've gone into that process, uh, what has that been like for you?
3: I think we, in I think in, in American culture and Western culture, we have uh, just this framework of needing to separate our spirituality, our faith life, from the rest of who we are, mm-hmm. and and we just compartmentalize different things, right? So here's my work life, here's my spiritual life, here's my family life, mm-hmm. and in Latino culture, like a lot of other cultures, right? Like we, everything is intersected, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. my faith intersects with my family and intersects with my work life, whether or not that's ministerial or not, mm. and and so it's really about becoming my full self, mm. uh, and and us communally becoming our full selves, uh, because and this I think speaks into into liberation theology, which uh, you and I have talked about a little bit before, like. Uh, I am not fully myself um, unless you are fully yourself, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And some liberation theologians, the ones that I tend to agree with a little bit more, Mm -hmm. would say that the oppressed aren't fully free and liberated until the oppressors are also free and liberated. Mm -hmm. And it's just this idea that everything in life Um, is interconnected and we can not compartmentalize and individualize everything um and when you do that when you when you let everything intersect that way you become more alive Mm -hmm. it's like i can be all of these things at once and and god intended it that way and it is very good
4: Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm hearing this in um we're talking about like freedom and being fully free and i think a familiar argument uh, that I've heard many times, and I would imagine you two would be, especially in regards to our sexuality, uh, mm-hmm. that that's not actually freedom. Um, that that living into this identity as a queer Christian is is taking us away from freedom. Um, and I, I'm wondering, like, how have you felt freedom? um what has what has freedom looked like as you as you have embraced this identity as a queer christian but also your other identities and and
3: how has that impacted impacted your life yeah i think i would say freedom in a lot of ways is the the capacity at least when it regards our like regarding our identities um it's the capacity to be unapologetically us Mm. and whether it's um i'll speak to both ethnicity and sexuality mm-hmm. um my question is always when, when it comes to that like when we get that question well it's not really truly free right like um and that's something we hear all the time now um as queer folk but we also i mean we we've heard that historically as people of color mm-hmm. like and we don't like to like the church doesn't like to deal with that society doesn't want to deal with that reality but it's like right. yeah you also you know, prohibited us and continue to prohibit us from being fully ourselves and unapologetically ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, my counter to the the statement, like, "Well, that's not truly free," is like, "Well, who's defining freedom?" Mm. It it's easy for the person in power. It's easy for the person with control and with privilege to say, "Well, that's not freedom." Mm-hmm. And and our, our choice, our response is to say, like. Am I going to submit to the same system of like, hey, yeah, uh, here's this weird um, corrupt power dynamic. Like here's this person in power. Here's this person that's oppressive. Here's this person that has privilege. I'm going to submit to what they tell me uh, freedom is, or I'm going to define it on my on my own terms, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Which scares Christian folk, right? <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. It's not on your terms, it's on Jesus' terms. I'm like, well it's not on your terms either. And you're the one setting the terms here. Right. And so I have to say, like be able to revisit scripture and say, okay, what, what does Jesus say is freedom and how is he defining freedom? Uh, And so how can I enter into freedom on my own terms as a result of what I'm seeing taking place in scripture? Mm -hmm. And that just terrifies people. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
4: Yeah.
2: Because all of a sudden it's, it's, you mentioned power is taking the power back and it's a, I know the times in my life that I've done that. It it has felt like a very bold move on my behalf and it has come with consequences and it terrifies everyone. I think ourselves included.
3: (laughs) There comes a point in time where we have to decide, and this is something I'm learning um, and getting language for more recently, but we have to come to terms with and decide how much of ourselves are we willing to negotiate, Mm -hmm. uh, negotiate away in order to exist. Mm. So, um, knowing that if I work for X Y Z Christian organization, I'm going to need to negotiate whether or not I can be in a relationship, or whether or not I can be open, or um, and am I okay negotiating that? And for a long time, I was right. Like for a long time, when, um, in some of my previous work, um, I was okay with like just negotiating negotiating that away. For other reasons, but there comes a point in time where like negotiating part of who you are in your soul just gets detrimental and unhealthy and toxic. Yeah. And and like I wish I could say like I just, you know, woke up one day and made the decision and was like, this is not healthy walking away. But there's really people like beating down my door, like, hey, like this is not healthy for you. You are sending yourself out um, to a power structure that's not gonna it's not feeding you, right? It's not giving mm-hmm. you back. It's actually just exploiting you and taking life away from you um but you feel indebted right there's mm-hmm. this slave master mentality that we um, develop and and let me tell you real quick how christian folk love to to make you feel guilty mm-hmm. like you um say like i need to step away from this ministry or i need to step away from this church they make it seem as if like and by the i mean we yeah. We, this big old family. We, <laughs> make it as if, like, by leaving a ministry or leaving a church or leaving X Y Z job in, in ministry, like, we are somehow leaving Jesus,
4: mm-hmm.
3: somehow leaving God altogether. Like, well, I'm washing my hands of this whole like Jesus situation, which is not the case mm-hmm. most of the time, right?
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: And if it is the case, like, that's okay, right? Because people need the capacity to say, like, this has been toxic and destructive to me. I need, I need to roll back and reevaluate my life. And that means stepping away from the person of Jesus who has been made out to be the oppressor.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So you, you mentioned, um, was kind of parachurch and church organizations. And I know there's some story there. Um, is that a story oh. that you'd be willing to share a little bit? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what part of the story do you want to talk about? <laughs> we could be here all day. <laughs> right. Um, I 'cause cause you were with, you were with InterVarsity, right? Correct. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you were, you were kind of in the midst of the heart of things as InterVarsity last year w- with their decision to, um.
3: With the paper and like right. believe over yes. the theology and yes. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Cause they came out with their, their decision that everyone had to believe that, uh, same sex relationships slash marriage were sinful wrong. And anyone who didn't believe that was going to be terminated,
3: right? Like,
2: right. yeah. And, and and you were kind of in the heart of that.
3: So like in the most like Christian way possible, like you get a leave. We're going to let you leave. We're not going to fire you, but we're going to let you decide to leave now. Uh, right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so as someone who's working for them, that comes out, you, I, were you out at that time?
3: Yeah. So I, my coming out story is such a curious situation. It's like such a weird roller coaster of like kind of jumping in and out, out of the closet. Like the door's wide open. We all know that we're in, like I'm in there, but I'm like, right. is it safe to come out yet? Like, I hope it's not safe. I gotta go back in. Like, and it's like everyone's fully aware. <laughs> right, right. But there's, again, it's that negotiation piece. Like, how much of myself am I really willing to put out there? So I came out to my dad and my older brother when i was 10 hmm. um my dad then later forgot entirely um <laughs> forgot <laughs> put that um was really angry uh and then just we never revisited that conversation again and mm-hmm. so i in college during my undergrad i was um in rotc for three years um and training to be an army officer all that jazz and at the time i still like like, don't ask them. To tell had it been repealed. So I had to sign. Um, I had to sign a contract. Like on the full contract, there was a section that said, you know, I would not engage in homosexual behavior, et cetera. Mm. Uh, and and so there was a part of me like, I'm out in college, but like I got to be careful because like there's a scholarship um, at risk here. There's you know a career at risk here. There's a ton at risk here. And so all my close friends knew. Some of my family knew, but it was like just this, again, the door's wide open, but you got to be really careful. And so right. when I move, I leave ROTC, I transfer schools, I move to Utah, and I joined university as a student, and I, by that point in my head, I was like, well, this is no longer anything I need to hide, right? Like, hmm. I'm not, ROTC, that contract was really the thing that for me was um, the most critical piece. And so now that I'm not in the program, now that like i can just be open right but then i joined intervarsity, and uh i'm pretty open about my sexuality but very quickly it's this oh yeah we don't like we don't do that
4: here <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs>
3: and it was my faith journey had been like so intermixed like i mentioned at the beginning like but now i'm in this space where like scripture is being brought alive um people seem to be like Live, like living into what it means to actually follow Jesus. I'm like, this is beautiful. Like, hmm. so maybe they're right.
4: Hmm.
3: Maybe they're right. And let me tell you, I, I think Intervarsity is an incredible ministry. And I don't say that to sugarcoat anything or just like play nice because most people know. Like, I don't like, I don't really mince words. So I, yeah. I really think Intervarsity is a great ministry. I also do think there oftentimes there is a pitcher of Kool Aid that we're drinking out of. And mm. we just like buy into this notion of what it means to follow Jesus, and that that is strictly the way of following Jesus. Mm. And so, within the first six months of being a student with IV, it was okay, we're going to pray the gay away, we're going to date the gay away, we're just going to do prayer ministry, some healing prayer, and and I bought into it because I mm. thought that's what it meant. You know, I drank the Kool-Aid, right? Right, like right. In, in a lot of arenas, I could tell stories of all sorts of Kool-Aid that I drank as part of this ministry. And mm. um, to my own fault, to the fault of the ministry, like it's all, again, n- nothing's dualistic, nothing's right, black right. and white. But I definitely was, I just chose into this uh, because I thought this is what it meant to follow Jesus. And so... Mm. Um, Eventually, I I come on staff after I graduated, and this is one of the biggest controversial pieces when um, the InterVarsity Purge happened Mm. um, last fall, uh, was that I I told the story of how my supervisor, my first two years on staff at the InterVarsity, my team leader, um, how he frequently made recommendations to watch um, heterosexual pornography, Mm. So way of changing my sexual orientation.
4: Mm.
3: He kept doing the pray the pray the gay way. He kept pushing me to um uh, to try and date and uh and at some point like I think it was after like the first three months on staff, after like the first uh the first like hour and a half of sitting in like prayer with this dude and then him mm-hmm. telling me like go watch him porn I was like this Ooh. this is right. Like this is ain't right. Like yeah. I was disillusioned with a lot of other things and I was like this just and so at that point that was a critical junction for me where I decided okay I need to revisit everything that I thought mm. that I believe for the last couple of years about mm. this and mm. um eventually that led up to the purge where or where I found myself situated in the purge being very mm. vocal and outspoken mm. yeah
2: yeah so the purge happened you were in the midst of it um. Yeah. I know that that uh, changed a lot of your life. It feels. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, feels like a, a big turning point. Uh, And so, as one, I mean, you were, you were, you were working for university. Like you were on staff with them. Was that? Is that right? Or yeah. I, I left. Okay.
3: I left staff last June, so right. just a few months before the, the before. First. Okay. Yeah.
2: Like, oh, yeah. What are you up to now? I know that you're in seminary like you're doing great work I know that you're also in a point of transition this week too so (laughs) that might be a really hard question to answer but (laughs) yeah I think
3: for for a lot of us um that were situated at the center of like what was happening with the purge like we we had a particular level of upheaval in our lives that uh just that was just much larger than other people that were connected to uh, the ministry and et cetera. And I think part yeah. of it for me was, um, a lot of my credibility was lost. Uh, mm. and I think there were different degrees of that, like, you know, conservative, conservative donors that just lost their minds. Like people who publicly shamed me, uh, the, the heresy <laughs> card was played mm. a few times, which I just thought was, uh, I thought that one was great. Um, mm. I was like, I'll take that heresy card. Like, I really feel grateful. Like, I got there pretty quick. I was twenty, yeah. So I'm like, yeah. Like, heresy <laughs> by 25. It was not my bucket list, but I'm going to scratch it in now. Like, there you go. <laughs> and so, and it was my first year of seminary. And so, so all of this is taking place while I'm like, <laughs> there's just a lot happening. Let's right. just say that. And, yeah. um, and, and so I came on stuff with a different ministry looking, uh, to continue doing. uh campus ministry, I came on staff in November, and I did some work at the University of Utah where I had been on staff at the University. and then recently I just moved to Western Michigan and began meeting with some students, with some faculty, with some staff uh, at a few different campuses um, in the Grand Rapids area. Mm. Mm. And and that's just something that I'm stepping away from now. Uh, part of it is when we when we look at how ministries are are structured, right? Mm whether it's InterVarsity, whether it's Crew, Incarnation, any of these ministries that, um, that are well-known in public, mm-hmm. uh, they're structured in such a way that benefits a certain kind of individual. Yeah. And I say like, like very specific individual, right? Like not even right. an individual group of people. It really serves the, the straight white male yeah. um, mm-hmm. and particularly the straight white male that came from a middle-class mm-hmm. uh, community. Mm-hmm. growing up and so typically their church their church is fairly wealthy um, or has enough discretionary funds and there's plenty of people in the church that are like I've seen you your whole life grow up and you're doing ministry now so I want to fund you right um, and so it's so those people are are champions right like go go and do it like you're married you have two kids like we just want to come alongside of the work that mm-hmm. God is doing through you on campus dear God <laughs> <laughs> Like I've like used that in like fundraising before. Like, would you just come alongside me? And like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm over it. Like, listen, I'm gonna go do this ministry. Are you coming or not? (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) For the um, the the way we market ministry as a business, but um, the problem is that queer people, um, people of color, we and and women,
4: Mm -hmm.
3: we just don't fit um, Mm -hmm. into these sort of ministry models. And and so my decision to step out uh, again from a parachurch ministry has been, this is not financially feasible, this is not financially stable, and we need new models Mm if we move forward. We need to do things differently. Uh, And so this isn't, again, to to shame anyone or to um, condemn anyone. It's just the reality is that when when we talk about justice, when we talk about liberation, when we talk about freedom, it means that those individuals or those groups of individuals that are in power
4: mm.
3: need to actually surrender that power and say, I'm willing to give up my power, my resources, my privilege so that the people that I say I care about, um, the people that I say, like, we just want to go to the margins and help them, like, well, then mm. get out of the way, right? Yeah, That's what we really need you to do is to get get out of the way, give up your power, privilege and resources and, and, and get out of the way. Like, And I say it with all the love of my heart. I love white folk. like. Mm-hmm straight folk like uh but we're not going to see change structurally if we're submitting ourselves to individuals who are going to continue to build structures based on on what we've done this whole, what, what's been done this whole time right like it's right. the same you put a rainbow flag on the same plantation right It's yes. the, it's the same situation mm. uh, and so yeah so that's mm. so right now i'm looking at like what what does it look like to do this kind of ministry, right? Where it is so important to do ministry with college students. It's such a critical, like critical time for us. Like I'm sure you can attest to that. Like for my spiritual formation, my, my sexual formation, like Mm -hmm. my, all of my identities, like just like blew up in my face in college. Mm -hmm. I was like, what, okay, what do I do with all of this? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's important that we have good people on campus leading students in that. And Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. You're talking about like college students and, and that need for, for people in ministries and, and people to come into these places. Uh, I think both it, both in Christian institutions and in more, more secular schools and institutions and, and, uh, like historically the people who've been doing that have been these evangelical, like with, with a very specific set of beliefs, uh, I think for me, like going, go to a Christian college uh, with all these identities blowing up in my face, like you said, I didn't know where to turn because there was no one who would be willing to talk to me about my sexuality in a way that was actually constructive and helpful. Um, And that's a huge need. Like, yeah. yeah. So I, I think what I'm trying to say is like, good <laughs> like i'm glad i'm glad you're passionate about this but yeah, like no,
3: yeah because yeah. it, it, it i just think about like when i first came on campus um, <laughs> i so my family most of my family has been in the military like most of my family um long time like they uh voted republican they were you know good patriotic um yeah good patriotic military people and yeah. and that's beautiful and, and And I'm honored to have been a part of that, to be part of this kind of family, um, that Mm -hmm. has served, but it also comes with a certain kind of baggage of what you, what your assumptions are politically like, uh, and so I show up, I show up on campus at a liberal arts college, Mm -hmm. um, with like, you know, it's, it's the, it's the 2008 election Mm. and we have John McCain and Obama, and then, I mean, then the, then there's Sarah Palin, right? Like, right, right. who is just her own situation on this side. Yeah. <laughs> um, and somehow I found myself thinking that John McCain and Sarah Palin are the better option, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, like, if you had met me, I, I would have fought you on that hardcore. Mm. Um, but so much of that was what internalized racism, like, mm. internalized homophobia, like, all of these things that, like, were a part of who I am, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a part of who I wanted that I had come to believe was repressed because when you, li- you got Fox News on that loop for too long, you just, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, you eat that up. Like, yeah. whether intentionally or unintentionally, like that just stays with your spirit. And so uh, I had all of this self-hate that I was then projecting into like, well, no, this is what's best for our country. Like mm-hmm. this little like 17-year-old little little sh- just thinks he's like, <laughs> I know what's best. Like, I'm a poli-sci major. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, help me! Like, oh, I'm like, if anyone of my like friends from college from that year are hearing this, like, I'm sorry for being that <laughs> child because I'm like, <laughs> it was the worst, it was the absolute. Yeah. But yeah. if I had set, had someone who was patient and came along and like, hey, let, let me process with you, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because I remember going to someone that year and uh, I've been really, f- I've been trying to be really faithful. I was going to church. I was like trying to find a Bible. So I was like, I don't know how to do this, but Help me! And at one point, I I met with someone in the the campus ministry office, and I told her, "Listen, um, as I've been like going, it was during Lent, and I was like, as I've been like walking through Lent, like some stuff has come up that I have not dealt with, mm. right? Uh, and one of it was like having been sexually assaulted, having been molested as a child. Um, mm. And I was like, I don't know how to deal with this. Mm. What do I do? Uh, and then." I don't know how that affects or if there's any correlation all to the fact that I'm gay mm. or am Cause I? That's, right. yeah, Cause that's like a narrative, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, well, clearly, right? Like if you're gay, you must have been like something traumatic must have happened to you. Right. Um, and, and I'm asking myself these questions of like, even though I'd w- been out and like, am, am I gay though? Like, is there, mm. is there like, there's always that thing in the back of my head. Like, is there a way that I can change this and not be this thing? Yeah. So I go to her with this, and um she like dismisses it out of hand entirely right mm. and and that was my that was my first um one of my first spiritual betrayals mm. uh, where I felt I had gone and bore my soul to someone with spiritual authority um and and I got ruined. Right? Mm. I needed someone who could say. I don't have all the answers, mm-hmm. but I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to pilgrimage with you and help you f- figure this out together. Like, um, mm-hmm. and I've seen that with college students, particularly college students that I've worked with on the margins. Right. right. Uh, it's been a very different story when I've worked with your, your straight male white evangelical conservative student. That is just a work of God on its own. Like that is, just, <laughs> um, well, yeah. <laughs> Deeply, I've loved them from the bottom of my heart. But it's a, it's a different kind of love. It looks very different, right? Yeah, and yeah. and I've upset students over the way that I love my black female students versus the way I love my like straight white men. Mm. Um, and it's just a different love. Then we need to love people differently, right? Like it's just right. just how it rolls. And when I've met with students on them that would identify as uh, somewhere on the margins, um, it it is astonishing to me just how grateful they are to simply be heard for the first time.
4: Mm.
3: That's it. Mm. Like mind blowing. Like I'm thinking I'm like rolling into, like when I roll into lead a Bible study for my, you know, my evangelical conservative white students that have grown up in the church, they were homeschooled or they went to Christian school or all of those kind of things. Mm -hmm. When I'm working with them, like the pressure is on, like, are you going to get this right theologically? Are you going to, are you going to lead this in the right amount of time? Like, dear God, like, you can't bring a Pentecostal Puerto Rican to roll in and lead a Bible study. you to be out in 45 <laughs> minutes. I'm sorry. Like, 45 minutes is just me getting warmed up. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, there's just so much pressure because they they want you to perform for them. Right. And not always, but that, that was often the case. Mm-hmm. But with my students of color, with my queer students, they were just grateful to be heard. They had mm-hmm. no expectation, Right. And so there was no pressure on how I did ministry. It was simply that they needed someone to listen and to walk with them and be with them, right? Mm
4: -hmm.
3: And there's something really freeing for the minister um, as much as it is freeing for the students, right? Because you both get into the space where there is no no standard. There's no expectation. There is just simply freedom. Mm -hmm. And you come around the person of Jesus together, and it's just beautiful. Yeah
2: yeah it sounds beautiful like i'm like contrasting the two in my mind because i think um I, i have imaginations of what both of those are like and on one hand it's like there's so much pressure in one space and so much like you need to get it right there's one right way to do this there's a level of certainty that we've all arrived at and if you don't line up with my vision of certainty then you don't belong or you can't teach me or we can't do this together. Whereas on the other side it's kind of a taking by the hand, taking by the shoulder and being like, let's do this together, like and yeah. and move through this in ways that are so vastly different than
3: But then I mean some of my favorite experiences with with students have been the I've been a handful of white students who have been able to to move right from one space to the next, right? Yeah. Um, who have taken a posture of learning? Who have taken a posture of listening? Um, who have been willing to enter into a story that is not their own? And mm-hmm. um, and I see some of them. Some of my alumni now. I'm like, you are doing incredible work, right? Like you are really embodying what it means um, to live this out, right? Mm-hmm. I often one of my favorite passages from scripture um, that that I'm doing some work with right now. Um, some more work with now is Luke seven, um, and Jesus interaction with, um, the centurion. And it's a story that like we see pop up in several different texts, like seven mm-hmm. different, uh, uh, gospel stories, but there's a particular difference in the way that Luke tells the story. And so it begins with, um, the elders of the community approach Jesus first mm-hmm. and, um, the elders come to, to Jesus like this man, this centurion, right? This Roman man that represents oppression, that represents empire, that represents everything that is wrong going wrong in our community right now. Um, he built us a synagogue,
4: hmm.
3: like he he did something for us, right? Like, so can you listen? Like, can you hear him out? Can you hear his request? Can you um, can you help him? Hmm. Right. So there, there's this way in which this this particular centurion man, um. His faith, we often talk about, like, oh, well, he had great faith, and so Jesus healed his servant. Mm -hmm. But what we see in Luke is that his faith wasn't just this, like, boxed-in situation, like, I believe in Jesus with all my heart. Like, his faith led Mm -hmm. him into the work of justice, Mm -hmm. uh, which led him into the work of, like, I have this power, I have these resources, um, and I have this privilege. But here's this community that is being oppressed by the very people that I represent and the very people that I'm a part of. I have to do something different, right? Mm-hmm. He builds mm-hmm. them a synagogue, right? He builds them a house of worship, right? Mm. For the people that could not worship, he builds them a place to worship. And that, that's a powerful image, right? I think mm-hmm. if um do some loose interpretive work with that, like who's going to build a synagogue yeah. for queer people? Like, Who's going to build a synagogue for queer people of color, for trans people, for, for people on the margins, right? And mm-hmm. it... Here is this individual with power right? that says, my faith has led me to a place where I will do the greater works of Jesus by building a synagogue, which is so, so simple. right? It's not right. going to Mexico for a week for spring break to go paint a church. It's like some real work. It's some real right. investment. It's a real commitment. You're right. saying, I'm going to build you a place of worship that does not look like my place of worship.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: It doesn't look like the temple that I worship in. Um, It doesn't look like what I want it to look like.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. I'm gonna surrender my power, and my privilege, and just give you the resources to do it. And so Jesus sees his faith and is like, "Well, damn. Hmm. Now let's talk about your servant right now, because we got all that's like I ain't got to teach you a whole ton right now, but your servant's sick. So let's 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 work that out." Yeah. And and so I've seen students, I've seen some of my alumni lean into what it means to be like that centurion, right?
4: Hmm.
3: So yeah, white people get to be like part of the redemptive story too right like i yeah. just to be clear like we we all get to participate in the redemptive story and mm-hmm. whether that's in the conversation about sexuality or race or uh any of these like difficult contentious issues we all like whether we're the ones in power or the ones um, that are oppressed we all get to enter into the story of jesus and experience redemption mm-hmm. and reconciliation mm-hmm. uh, but it takes work right like we just don't like Hey, I forgive you, it's all fine out great. Like let's hug right. reconciliation, hashtag freedom. Like right. that's that out. That's that's um that's some nonsense.
4: <laughs> yeah. Mm.
2: yeah. I've never heard like that is I love I love that. That that reading is like I got chills and maybe it be so like
3: Yeah. Oh yeah.
2: Maybe so. Thank you so much for joining.
3: Absolutely,
2: thank you. You can follow Michael's work over on Twitter at mvsebastian or on Instagram at mvsebastian12. He tweets a lot and Instagrams a lot. Uh, most of us do, but his, uh, follow him. It's it's really really good stuff. <laughs> uh, Queerology is on Twitter at QueerologyPod. Uh, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Uh, and I'd love it if you'd go leave a review of Choreology if you're enjoying it. Uh, you can head over to iTunes and do that, or just head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review, and it will take you right there. As always, I would love to hear from you. There's a little contact page on my website. Uh, just head over there, click that, let me know what you're thinking of the podcast, if there's any guests that you'd like to see, uh, or anything like that. And until next week, we'll talk to you later. Bye.